This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello. Did not think I would need a trigger warning in front of our Coming to America episode, but turns out we do. We briefly talk um, about sexual assault um, in this episode. So just a quick, that's when we're talking about the sequel. So if that triggers you at all, you can stop when we start talking about the sequel. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. This week, we are definitely lightening things up. It's been a heavy past couple of weeks on this show, so we're going to lighten it up for one week and then go back to the heavy. But for the first episode for this week, we're going to be talking about Coming to America, and we're going to talk about the original and then the sequel as well. And I have a great panel on. Tiffany, hopefully, fingers crossed, will be joining us. She's having some technical difficulties, so we're going to keep our fingers crossed and hope she jumps in soon. But uh, before I have the rest of my panel introduce themselves and tell me one thing they're into right now, just a couple of quick housekeeping notes. As always, we are taking listener support right now for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. Um, And also, I'm going to be making some announcements about that coming up um, on our shows uh, next week um, about different perks that I'm going to be offering. It's hard on Anchor to list the perks on there, but I'm going to be talking about them on here and then... They'll be listed on our social media platforms and stuff. So if you want to help the show, feel free to click on the link in the show notes or head on over to our anchor page and click listener support there. Also, remember, we have our Redbubble store. So if you need any fandom merch, head on over to that. To that, Excuse me. And that link will also be in the show notes. I'm sorry. Um, and remember, 50% of whatever we see from both our listener support and the Redbubble store will be split between one Black Lives Matter organization and one Stop Asian Hate organization per month. And that will be going on, like I said, indefinitely. So, okay, so let's have our panel introduce themselves and tell me one thing they're into right now. Carla, my new co-host. What, only because I'm on like every episode this year so far? So what are you into right now? Well, right now I am, it's not necessarily a voluntary thing, but I'm very into um, online magic people, like illusionists and stuff. And that's because my son, who is seven, is very, very into it. So we're watching a lot of um, of that. It's mostly Justin Willman, um, who does a really great, if, you, if, you, if you're looking for something fun to do with your kids, he does these online uh, magic at home 
things and you go to Eventbrite and you find his his thing, Justin Willman, and um, it's called Magic for Humans. And so he, he does like a, a Zoom magic show and like we got called on. We were like the audience. Um, there was one point in which we got called on and it was really, really cool and interactive. That and Zach King. So that's my what I'm into. And again, I don't think I would have discovered this if not for my child. So thanks. <laughs> that's awesome, though. And I love the videos that you posted of him doing <laughs> magic. They're so cute and great. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. I will say he's worked very hard at it. And he's very proud of himself. And I'm very proud of him. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. And then, Megan, what are you into? Oh, my gosh. That was so endearing, Carla. I love that so much. <laughs> so we're here well, giggling to you. myself. Um, uh, for me, I have been experiencing um, a lot of emotional development, I feel like, with movies again, now that they're coming out. <laughs> Uh, especially like Godzilla, that new movie came out. So I bought tickets for that. I'm very excited for the new King Kong versus Godzilla movie. <laughs> and even though I've been hesitant about going to the theaters, I'm like, I have to see that one on the big screen. Like, that's the one. Um, and uh, the Zack Snyder cut of the Justice League movie, actually. Oh, <laughs> Henry Cavill. <laughs> um, listen. <laughs> I love that man so much. And like, he finally didn't seem so robotic. I couldn't understand before in the prior cut what was happening. And even with some of the other characters, it's like, there's just things missing that I feel like the Zack Snyder cut did a great job filling in. <laughs> I was wondering if someone was going to end up mentioning that because um, Angela, who is the biggest DC fan we have ever had on any panel, probably tied with Susie, but definitely Angela is the biggest. She's going to be on next week. And I'm like, that probably will be the thing she will mention. I don't know. I'd be shocked if it wasn't because I know how excited she was for it. So, yeah, no, I believe she's going to watch it this weekend. Oh, she actually, um, yeah, she's, she's going to watch it though. Um, most definitely. Uh, she just, her big thing was she didn't want to give spoilers, obviously. So like, yeah, she'll, step around it from what I've heard <laughs> awesome. awesome well and what I'm into this is Aaron what I'm into is there's this movie on Shutter, a, a little streaming service called Slacks and it's spelled S-L-A-X-X and it is about now stick with me here this is a really good movie it is about a pair of jeans that kills people okay I know that sounds absolutely ludicrous but <laughs> I am trying to stay with you. Please tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually really good, really entertaining. It's a very short movie, so it's not something, you know, it's going to take a big portion of your life. But it actually is saying a lot about consumerism, um, capitalism, you know, the the white liberal claiming they're doing a lot for the world, uh, racism, uh, classism, all that stuff. So it actually has a lot to say. And I know that sounds ridiculous when it's a movie about jeans killing people, but it really does. And it's also really funny and very gory, that funny, gory, over-the-top thing. So if you ever want to see someone get constricted so much by their jeans that they literally pretty much explode, go watch this movie. <laughs> so what you're saying is that this is about the ultimate skinny jean. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Because it's also about. I'm so excited yeah. to watch this. <laughs> I mean, too. It's like, it's so oh, that sounds really fun. good. 
We should have a watch party for the. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. Yes. <laughs> yes. Seriously, it's a really, really fun movie to watch. Okay, so let's get into coming to America. So I want to just first talk about the first one, and overall thoughts on it, Carla. Megan actually had a really interesting um, angle on it because we we had discussed this in our group chat prior to recording, and she mentioned you know uh, the experience of watching Coming to America as somebody who came to America, and it just happens to be that my family moved here just before the movie was released and we watched it not long after that which is kind of questionable on my parents part because I was like nine or ten and my sister was like six or seven and I'm like what were they thinking having us watch this movie but but they also had us watch trading places at one point so who knows with them (laughs) and it was you know watching it of course, obviously, we didn't come from some kingdom where we were the princesses and, you know, coming from, like, riches to to rags. But it is the culture shock of coming from a whole different country and then arriving and then people are so different. And, um, like, we're from Mexico and, and in, our, in our city, everybody's really friendly and very um, just kind of all in your business in a friendly way. And then, you know, we moved here and Florida was not so friendly. So it was just like a, a, a big culture shock right there. And my dad's from New York. And, you know, like, so, so he's watching this movie about New York. He's from Brooklyn. It's in, set in Queens. So he's like, ah, oh, Queens, blah, 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 blah. So you get like, <laughs> which is yeah. hilarious to me, like the, the whole, you know, interborough derision. Um, but I, I love the movie. The first time that I watched it, I just remember being completely enamored with it because what I liked most about it was that Prince Akeem is just very naive and very sweet and a nice guy. And he just really wants to find his true love. So it's a fantasy. It's a rom-com. It's a, it's coming of age. It's, you know, an international man of mystery kind of thing without being like over the top like Austin Powers. But just overall, I I just was really taken in by how hilarious and sweet it was. But the thing that always sticks in my mind the most when I think of coming to America is Soul Glow. You know, that's the first thing yeah. that comes to my mind is is um Daryl's family when they're at the engagement party and um and the dad is, uh, Lisa's dad is inviting the family to come up and stand with him. And they get up and they're, they're just like these blobs of soul glow <laughs> left on the couch. Which was just, I was dying laughing. It was hilarious. And my grandmother, my dad's mom, was a hairstylist. So, you know, like I, I was familiar more or less with a tiny bit. Because, you know, we hadn't lived here very long when we watched the movie. But I, I definitely knew about the whole Jerry curl thing and she, how, how much she hated it because she's like, that's ridiculous and blah, blah, blah. And um, all the hair grease and everything. So it was just so funny watching them just, it's basically dripping out of their hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but that was my experience when I, in, in my heart and in my memories. <laughs> and Megan. 
Soul Glow is definitely a standout for me, too. <laughs> um, as well as uh, the She's Your Queen song. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Every time <laughs> I hear it, I die. I, like, it, it's... So I didn't really know the lyrics before, so I finally decided to look it up. Because um, I watched this when I was really young, too. Like, super young. I was, like, six years old. I'm watching this movie with my parents. And... <laughs> I'm like, what is this? It's so magical, blah, blah, blah. And now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like now it's just funny because I understand the humor more. And I, I guess I was always aware of it, but like at coming of age, it's like you grow with the movie. Um, <laughs> and I've always uh, adored that as well as like the McDowell kind of concept. The fact that he's like, we are not McDonald's, we are McDowell's. <laughs> um, that was always like such a standout thing for me. And I was like, you know what? That is some great marketing. Like this movie teaches you a lot about everything. And uh, it's just very, it's very well-rounded. And that's something about like having Eddie Murphy and his writing team and just some of the other writers on there, they all talked and like worked through a lot of different things without it becoming too parody parody, but also like becoming too serious, serious. Like they walked that fine line of what is appropriate, what's not, and what's kind of pushing it without like being over excessive about it too. I know you had brought up in in the chat talking about um, you know what it, the dynamic of having someone visiting the states coming over here from another country and and was there anything you wanted to comment on that too, Megan? Um, yeah, so like I had a best friend, her family moved here, and I watched the movie with her, and like there were just things I experienced with her growing up because she was my best friend, and like watching her go through these things of like the casual uh, like racism or like even just the like casual remarks of like oh like you're so like foreign like you live in like a jungle because like she was from um a asia like in vietnam area and that, that was like a big thing to comment on uh so like and you could tell like there was like a naiveness that she wasn't aware so i got defensive for her i guess just because like i was more aware of it um and, like, there's a lot of beauty where she comes from, too, where it's, like, it's just gorgeous, everything's pretty, but they weren't, like, super well off or anything, necessarily. They were just, you know, they lived in a beautiful place, and uh, they wanted to try out America, because you hear it's the land of opportunity. And I saw that a lot with her family and how they, like, embraced a lot of styles, because, uh, like, early 2000 styles of you know, everything's small, like the low waist jeans, the underwear showing, all that nonsense. Um, <laughs> they all got nonsense. over it. But, yeah, it was a lot of that. And even like moving here to Colorado and the ski culture, like you, you can tell if like someone has been skiing like here for a long time or if they're new, like they had that whole aesthetic. And I thought uh, Eddie Murphy did a good job with uh, having them change the look to kind of match that. Like we're trying to fit in, but it's mm -hmm. not fully fitting in. Yeah, and I um, this was one that I watched as a kid constantly. It was on. I used to always have uh, VHS tapes where I would have like you know three or four movies on the same VHS tape and watch those over and over again until the tape maybe broke or something. Uh, and this was definitely one of them uh, that I just absolutely loved, and I loved everybody in it. And I think also um, Arsenio Hall also deserves a lot of credit for how great this movie is. 
because he plays a character that, you know, he really likes, you know, Semi really likes the life they have. They, he wants to be in that, you know, he wants the glamour. He wants everybody, you know, to, he doesn't want to be staying in like the crappy apartment, you know, that they end up staying in. And he, he wants all of the riches and he wants all the luxury um, and he wants to be respected. And he's also always trying to earn, you know, the respect of, um, the king and he's always trying to be uh higher up and to be thought of as more important than I think sometimes he's treated. Um so it's really interesting to watch his character in both movies, but especially in the first one, um, you know, trying to uh, you know, get used to things and trying to still be like, hey, we're kind of above this, we're kind of better than some of you. Um, you know, you kind of see that with him and then also his just complete, complete devotion to a Prince Akeem. I mean, just complete devotion, even when he gets frustrated and even when he's like, why do we have to stay in this crappy place? I don't want to stay here. Come on. We have all the luxuries in the world. We could still come here and find you a wife and still be in luxury. Why don't we do that? He still goes along with whatever he says because he's so devoted to him, which I think is part of what he is used to in his country. And that's what he's used to. And that was what his role was. But I think it's also that he just, this is his best friend. I think that's the way he views it. This is his best friend. This is like his brother. He's going to do anything for him. And he's so funny. I mean, I don't think Arsenio Hall gets enough credit for that. He's a really, really great comedian. He's really funny. His show was really good. Um, I loved the Arsenio Hall show when I was growing up. It was like my favorite talk show because it was looser and it was like the guests, I think, felt like they could be more themselves and he'd have people on that other talk shows wouldn't have on. So I just, I just wanted to shout him out big time because I don't think he gets enough credit, honestly, (laughs) for how good he is in this movie. Um, and of course, Eddie Murphy just... I mean, you know, because he's not just playing Prince Akeem, of course. I mean, he's playing a lot of other characters in here. Same with Arsenio Hall, too. I want to say that, too. Um, and Eddie Murphy just instills with Prince Akeem this um, wonder, this sense of wonder. And the way you watch him approach things that he sees in America, uh, things that maybe we don't see or things that we look at differently. And it's just really interesting to watch that and to watch his character um, as he goes along and as he grows and then as he falls in love because it's a great romantic comedy. I know Tiffany, who sadly isn't on here yet, it seems like she's still having technical difficulties, but I know Tiffany mentioned this on our romantic comedies episode because it is a romantic comedy at the heart of it. That's what it is, you know, and it's also about following, um, you know, destiny versus following your heart is the other big theme of the movie, I think. You know, yeah, there's a lot of comedy, there's a lot of slapstick, all that kind of stuff. But underneath it all, it's just a movie filled with a lot of heart, I think. Um, And it's just it's just so great. And a shout out to James Earl Jones, because you just always have to shout out James Earl Jones, because he's James Earl Jones. fabulous and amazing and wonderful and I just and I just love love him love watching him yeah okay so I want to talk about um do you think though even though we've we've applauded the film right now but do you think are there any harmful tropes that you see in the first one or anything like that that you want to point out Carla 
Yeah, there's a lot of like implied homophobia and and a lot of anti-trans stuff. And I think that that was like one of the the big things. I mean, it's still to this day happens where, you know, um, oh, I kissed this girl. No, that's a man. You know, that kind of thing. And it's just really disgusting. And the um, anytime that uh, a man is a little bit soft or caring or anything like that, something's like, oh, watch yourself, where they, they, they put on this effeminate voice or hand gestures and everything. And, and I really, really hate that. Um, and, you know, it's, I know it, it seems and definitely feels cheap to just say, you know, that's just the times back then. And to have to say it over and over and over again with so much of what we've grown up watching. But that's that's the fact of it. Like, I have less tolerance for it in, um, in content that comes out now. Because by now, you should definitely know better. But the movie came out in 1988. And although I don't think it's okay, I think that that is part of what was acceptable what was considered acceptable because it was never acceptable, but what was considered acceptable in movies at the time. Um, And even though the movie has a lot of interesting and progressive ideas for women, as far, you know, like Lisa is her own person, even though she, her family is, you know, wealthy, but she has her own opinions and she has her own, um, uh, her own goals and she's very very much just her own person so is her sister in a way but there's still a lot of uh, like male gaze like we were talking about on on last week's episode all of the the women who are the bathers they're dressed very skimpily the rose petal people um and and also the idea that part of the the royal treatment is to get into the water with you and like kind of clean you off under the water it's just really just ill um and those are the ones that like pop out to me the most oh and oh sorry like also body shaming like anytime that anybody's bigger than you know like a size four it's like oh gross she's super fat i don't want her and they do that in, in the bar scene where um Akeem and Simi are <laughs> they're trying to find a queen for for Akeem and they, they're kind of bombarded by all of these women who come and sit with them and the ones that are played for I mean all of them are play, played for laughs but the ones that are played for laughs without actually anything funny in the dialogue are the women who are bigger mm-hmm and then there's there's one woman that I, I'm pretty sure Arsenio Hall plays, who yeah. has like the deepest, and that that's where my you know the, the anti-trans thing comes in because it's like why is this funny to you? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was more in the tank, and I think that's where it peters out. <laughs> Yeah, very, very, very good points there. Megan, do you have anything you want to add to that? Um, I was actually going to also mention, uh, God, I can't remember his name. I just call him Mr. Soulglow because he's the face of it. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, 
Daryl? Uh, Daryl, yes. Uh, so Lisa's boyfriend, I, I definitely felt like those, um, I don't know how to explain it other than the 80s toxic masculinity trope. <laughs> um, he, yeah. he was very much leaning into it. And granted, that was good acting. But <laughs> every time he would do certain things, I would cringe just like telling Lisa like, oh, you're my woman, blah, blah. You, and then even like proposing to her in front of her family without consulting her. Oh, that drove me crazy. I wanted to kill him. <laughs> and I, I forgot how crazy that drove me. And um, just a lot of those kind of moments where it's like even her dad being like, once he found out Akeem was this prince, like suddenly Akeem was more mm-hmm. valuable um and he should marry or sh- they should get married the daughter and Akeem and it's it was things like that where I was like oh this makes me really uncomfortable um but I do because like I the one thing I wish would have happened is the queen would have had a bigger role because she was interesting mm-hmm. and there was a lot of things they could have done with her to make it even more powerful and I think this is where this movie falls short is that they didn't utilize her fully. And like, she got like big moments in, but it's like, what else is there? Like, I always wanted more from her. And I feel like that's kind of where the writers fell short with her is that they kind of are like, oh, she's just this nurturing mother. And it's like, great. But like, mm-hmm. she does a lot of other things. You can tell she does. I, I want to know more about that. Or even like her talking to the father and being like, hey, like, stop that. Like, I wanted to see more of that kind of interaction of pull and tug because that was definitely happening at the 80s. And I think that movie should have reflected it more. Yeah, I completely agree with everything both of you have said. Yeah, I was definitely going to call out the the homophobia and the transphobia. And I mean, you know, if you listen to a lot of Eddie Murphy's old stand up, there's a lot of homophobia in his uh, old stand up. Um, and that's true of a lot of stand up routines, um, you know, even you know, early 2000s, even, you know, stuff like that. And so you that does stick out, especially now. I think when you examine media that came out in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, uh, late 90s, 2000s, I mean, really pretty recently, and you will see a lot of underlying homophobia, um, gay panic, that kind of stuff. Um, and we'll definitely examine that big time when we talk about friends. <laughs> Because that was big in Friends. Um, but yeah, so that that's a big thing that really sticks out. And I think we have grown since then somewhat. Like if it was to happen now, I think it's not that it's ever okay. But I think it's even more, um, I don't want to say shocking, but even more egregious if it happens today. Because people really should have learned by now. Um, so yeah, that was the big one. And then of course, um, you know, the bathers and which is still a thing in the sequel. (laughs) Um, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, the bathers are a a big issue, a big problem. And, um, just the way it's handled, which there is nothing wrong, of course, with anything like, you know, with any kind of, um, sex work, but I don't think that's considered that. I think it's more considered like, um, this is your role as a woman is you're going to be either, you know, if you're higher up, you might be the queen or the princess or this and that, but then the lower the down the totem pole, the less say you get in things. And I know the second one, they try to examine that more and, um, examine the sexism more. And we'll get into that here 
shortly. Uh, but yeah, that definitely sticks out. And of course, that toxic masculinity was a big thing back then in 80s movies. And a lot of times it was accepted and was okay. I think with Daryl, it's not as accepted because um, he doesn't, he's kind of the quote unquote bad guy in this. So I think it's not quite as accepted, but I totally see it still as problematic at, at some points. And of course, and I totally agree about exploring the queen more. I mean, she's never explored in either one, really. It's just, she's just has some great uh, stuff to say, but it's never really delved into as deeply as um, watching, um, you know, Akeem pushing against his um, destiny so you don't see it as much with the women, except for Lisa a little bit. But I think that's a little bit different because I think she's already always been pushing against her destiny. So, yeah, because you can definitely see that push and pull with her between her and her dad is the biggest place where you see it. OK, so I know Megan has to go shortly. So I want to just jump to Megan first and then I'll come back to you, Carla, because I just want to see if Megan, if you have anything else you want to add. And you can even talk about the sequel as well before you go. Um, for me in the sequel, my biggest, like, <laughs> like I, I couldn't help it, uh, the funeral, uh, for the King. Uh, I, I don't know how much I can go into that, but. Um, we'll, we'll, I'll just say really quickly, we're going to go ahead and um, spoil the sequel. So if you haven't seen the sequel yet, we're going to spoil it. So go ahead, spoil away. Um, so <laughs> the fact that the, um like the midnight train to um, Muba or uh, the place that they came up with. And then they had salt and pepper on there. And I, yeah. it, I was laughing the entire time because like, I love, I love Earl Jones as the king. He, it's hilarious. It makes me laugh. And every time I see him on screen, I can't help it. Like it, it, and this was with the first and second movie because he's just not that like kind of guy of like being like, Oh, I'm this, king who doesn't accept anything blah blah like he's very open-minded once you you actually see kind of what he does and everything um so seeing him going to that mature role like that and then hosting his own funeral that way oh it was so funny like (laughs) Mm -hmm. um it was moments like that um that I really appreciated about the second movie um and I think with the second movie, it was interesting how they rounded it back to, you know, like that first trip and what happened there, uh, especially because like, you know, he had a son. It, it was, Granted, it was a complete kind of accident, but it happened. And I thought it was interesting how they diversified their characters a lot more, like even including the the young lady who was uh, initially showcased to Akeem by the father when he and uh, seeing her family and stuff and their culture. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, granted, there were still some downfalls. I feel like the daughters could have had a bigger role. However, I do hear that they're going to come out with a third movie. So I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about it still in that regard, but I did enjoy the second one um, in spite of it. Granted, the first will always hold a very special place in my heart, but uh, that that second one definitely still had me rolling all over the place laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the music, the music scenes, that's my favorite part of the sequel is all the every single music scene is incredible, I think. Um, so that's definitely my favorite part of the sequel and, and 
Carla and I can get into that in a little bit here. Um, but I know since you have to go here, I want you to just, if there's anything else you want to say about Eddie Murphy too, just anything. And then if you want to just close out and say where you can be found, if you want to be found, if or if you're still staying anonymous. <laughs> We know we I stay anonymous. <laughs> that is something I do. Um, um, well, with Eddie Murphy, um, I'm glad to see he's coming out to do more comedy again. I'm very curious to see what his future stands are going to look like, especially now because things have changed so drastically. And I can see now there is some maturity in the content. Um, I'm still nervous, though, uh, just because, again, like, he had some problems in the past. It was the 80s, and that's the only reason why I'm like, eh. But even now, though, I I think he definitely needs to be careful in that regard of what kind of humor is acceptable and what kind of humor he needs to kind of, like, stay away from. Uh, But I'm, I'm excited to see if he does actually make this third movie how it'll turn out or if he plans on going back into more movie writing. Cause I did always enjoy his writing in movies and I, and, um, Oh God, who were you talking about earlier? I just, his name completely leaves me. Uh, the guy who plays, Hall? Yes. Arsenio Hall. Um, I definitely want to see him in more stuff again too. And mm-hmm. even just see him make a comeback. So I definitely think this is an opportunity for both of them, uh, to really come back and, say hey you know like comedians don't age out and we can do a lot of different things it's not just like the stand-up we can do movie writing we can do all these different things and uh this movie series or duo uh has definitely shown they can break the mold on that mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, you know it'd be interesting to see both of them this just popped in my head both eddie murphy and arsenio hall in some drama together I think that would be really interesting. I'd kind of, I'd really like to see that. That would be amazing. They both completely have the chops. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, absolutely. I agree with that. Like I said before, I think too often people uh, don't realize how difficult comedy is. I mean, comedy, I think is more difficult than drama, honestly, because you have to try not to be funny. That's the thing is you can't keep trying. If you try too hard at it, it's not going to be funny. And also, I think a lot of comedians are incredible dramatic actors. I mean, we've seen that time and time again. So, yeah, I just that just popped into my head. I'm like, oh, man, let's let's make that happen. Universe. I'm putting that out there. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Okay, Megan. Well, I'm really um, I don't know if you have to go now, but I'm really sad to see you go so soon. I'm so sorry. No, (laughs) that's okay. Thank you. Thank you for being on. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. So thank you. Bye guys. Okay. So um, Carla, before we go in, let's talk about um, Eddie Murphy before we go completely into the sequel, even though we've already kind of mentioned it a little bit. So what are your overall thoughts on Eddie Murphy, just as a comedian, as a person, as an actor, all, all of that jazz? He's somebody who is incredibly talented, but who also relies on very cheap shots at, you know, particularly at marginalized populations like the rampant homophobia, transphobia, um, the sexist takes. There's just so much that is that is unlikable about him as a as a comedian and as a content maker, uh, you know, just so 
anytime that somebody's like, oh, Eddie Murphy's in this, I'm like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that. And then I, I kind of wait for somebody else to tell me whether they liked it or not um, <laughs> before I, I, you know, dip my eyeballs into it. But yeah, and the thing is, you know, it it's really part of the reason that it's so frustrating is because I want to like him so much. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's somebody who started off young and hungry and really made a name for himself just solely based on the gifts that he that he was given. And he's very gifted. Um, like you said, he could definitely handle a drama if it came his way. I think that, that he's somebody who is just absolutely, absolutely exceptional. And but not only is he a great performer, he's also a great writer and producer. So he he has like the talent up the wazoo. So there's really it's even more frustrating then that he does go back to these just very unacceptable tropes and these things like, why do you do that? You can do so much better than that. It's not, um, it, it's not funny. You, you're relying on it because there are people out there who just roll with that kind of cheap, easy humor that there's really no, actual comedy behind it so yeah i I think overall i'm just um frustrated by him and still at the same time kind of awed by his talent Mm -hmm. yeah pretty much ditto um and i you know ever since i you know when i became an adult i think is when i started viewing him more critically uh, viewing his comedy from a more critical eye um, because there are a lot of problems in it. There's a lot of, there's also a lot of sexism and a lot of the stuff he does. Um, but he, but I think he is, and, and I don't think this is overstating it necessarily, but I do think he is a genius on some level. Um, he's so smart and so intelligent with a lot of the stuff he does. And that's why it's frustrating when he goes for those cheap laughs. And when he relies on that, because I'm like, you're, you're so much smarter than that. You've shown it, you know, you, you don't have to rely on that. Um, you know, but, but it, but he is an incredible talent. He's really funny. He can take on new characters with ease. Um, and that's why I think he would be so great in some really heavy dramatic movie. I think he would just really shine. Cause I mean, he showed a little bit of the, that in dream girls, Um, so I think he can definitely do that. It's definitely in his wheelhouse. And another thing that I really do appreciate about Eddie Murphy is watching him with his co-stars because you can tell he respects the people he works with. You can tell he is okay with stepping back a little bit and letting a little bit of the spotlight shine on other people. Um, and so I respect that about him. Um, and I also really liked, uh, one thing I liked at the, cause if you watch the end credits of coming to America, there's some like outtakes and stuff. And I always love watching bloopers and all that kind of, that those are so much fun to me. And I think every movie, especially really heavy movies <laughs> should have a blooper reel. <laughs> Man, I would have loved to see a blooper reel. Can you just imagine of- one for like Ma Rainey's though? Oh my like, gosh. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> know that awesome. that. I was just picturing the movie Waves is like a movie, you know, that I sat in the theater through the whole credits and just picturing like outtakes for that movie. <laughs> that might that might be kind of a little bit too jolting, but in the outtakes for Coming to America, I, 
the reason it kind of struck me is, I don't know, I think sometimes uh, when people get higher up and they're big and famous, their ego can seep through their performances. And I do want to say sometimes I've seen that with Eddie Murphy, but, but I will say watching the outtakes, I don't know. There was something about it where it was kind of like, oh, there's no ego there. It was kind of like the ego was drained. I don't know. But I just, I enjoyed watching that because it was like he was okay when he was messing up and when other people were messing up and stuff. So I just kind of appreciated that, but. Maybe that's why there aren't outtakes in some of those movies because it's just like a show of ego. Like, how dare you ruin my masterful performance? There goes my Oscar. <laughs> that could be. But Kelvin Harrison Jr. wouldn't do that, Carla. No, I don't believe that he would. <laughs> no, he would not. <laughs> um, anyway. anyway come on the show so that Aaron can oh, personally sweet. tell you to your face how much she loves you. Please do. Please do. Seriously, it will be a very, very intelligent conversation, I promise. <laughs> It'll be very chill and laid back, and she will definitely not be, like, salivating through her eyeballs. Promise. <laughs> salivating through her eyeballs. I'm just picturing something really weird there. <laughs> oh, is it weirder than than um, slacks? Oh, <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> There is a whole scene in there where the slacks dance. They do like a <laughs> dance. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> anyway, sorry, it's a weird tangent there. Um, but yeah, yeah, I just and I just once again I'm putting it in the universe. Let's get Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy into a drama together. Yeah. And more Arsenio Hall. Uh maybe Arsenio Hall can come back and host a talk show. Wouldn't that <laughs> again? be amazing? Yes. I would love it. He was so good. I absolutely yes. loved watching his talk show. And I was mm-hmm. so mad when it got canceled, just, you know, just mm-hmm. yanked for no good reason. But yeah, like what you were saying before about him in the, particularly in the first movie, I think, and I think it's a, a bias because I like the first one so much better. But first of all, he was so handsome. Like rewatching it, I forgot how absolutely beautiful Arsenio Hall was. In that film, he's just like, he's just glowing and just, oh, magnificent. But, but also he's just, he's, he plays such a good supporting character for Eddie Murphy because he is kind of the straight man, but he's also the comic relief. So they just balance each other out so beautifully. Mm -hmm. And he makes Semi, who could be really unlikable, if you really, if you, th- if you, you know, step back and think about it, he's just not a very great person. Yeah. But there's so much warmth in him and in his his interactions with with Eddie Murphy that I I think that that that's part of what makes the movie because it's, it it is a, a rom com, but it but it's also like a buddy film. Hmm. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah, that's why I definitely wanted to mention Arsenio Hall earlier because I just think. He's so good. He's so good and he's so underrated. And I mean, really, he was one of the best talk show hosts around. I I feel fortunate that I grew up watching that talk show because a lot of people I don't think realize how great that was. If you go back and you watch those interviews and because it's, you know, 
to interview someone is a talent to be able to make that person feel comfortable and feel at ease and to make it seem like just a conversation and you're just hanging out. And he was so good at that. I mean, Mm -hmm. even his body language, the way he would sit, um, the couches, um, his whole trademark, you know, I'm not going to do it because I won't do it very well, but you know, his whole (laughs) trademark. Yeah. Okay. I actually did that a lot better. Okay. But his whole (laughs) trademark thing, well, the way my hands are doing them, that's not what I That doesn't work. It's a good thing that this is not a a YouTube one. I know. (laughs) That was bad. Um, but that was great. And the fact, like I said, he would have people on that you wouldn't have on other talk shows. And he would let them basically do whatever and say whatever they, I mean, I remember when he had um, like even having salt and pepper on there and having um, two live crew having um, when he had Andrew Dice Clay on there and all these people who were very controversial. That's why it's so funny that stupid Fox news was calling on us Gen Xers to save people from cancel culture. Right. We had so it's the most much. ridiculous thing. Yeah. Like, we had, well, you know, I'm, like, on the cusp there. But we had so much taken away by you and your parents and those people that you deify as being, you know, like, the right kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, you're taking, you know, you took away Arsenio Hall. You took away, you, you censored, you tried to censor music. Didn't mm-hmm. succeed, but got close enough. Um, you made this world so much harder for people to express themselves in. And now you're coming and saying, hey, you generation that we don't really talk about or care about. <laughs> yeah. Can you please help us with our nefarious goals of further censoring the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks, we'll pass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we had to deal with Tipper Gore and we yeah. had to deal with people saying that our, our music was satanic and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So it's like, yeah. I'm I mean, like, if you have to end up getting D. Snyder to testify, exactly. then you know <laughs> that you're on the wrong side of history. How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> yeah. You know, and um, that's as an aside because I actually think this is a really interesting show to watch. Um, I was watching, you know, they are, they had a, they've had a reunion on that Paramount plus network thing of the first cast of the real world. And it's actually really interesting to watch because I think that first season, and you could even argue the second and third season and stuff were actually real, quote unquote real. And, there's a conversation had between Kevin and Becky and they're talking about, of course, racism and white privilege. And it's the same conversation that they had when the real world aired, which will show you how little progress has been made. But you also see total white fragility in this conversation because she literally spoilers for this. I don't know if anybody cares about being spoiled for this. Um, (laughs) But she literally goes and, you know, she gets so annoyed by the fact that Kevin is trying to have an actual conversation with her and say, look, this is your privilege. This is where you're coming from. This is where, you know, as a white woman, you you have this privilege as well and you need to speak out as well. And she gets so defensive that she leaves. She leaves the show. She wow. Is- <laughs> And you see that other people are trying to listen and other people are trying to grow. And, and 
it's just like she's a Karen. She's a complete and total Karen. Mm -hmm. But also it's that thing of when your white privilege is called out at all and that white fragility comes in and you're just like, I can't handle this. Yeah. Because it means I have to actually look at myself. And I mean, I, I'm sure I've, I know I've had moments like that in my life. Um, we all have as, as white people, but it's trying to see those. But her moment was just like, and she just wouldn't talk to anybody and she's just pouting. And oh, yeah, it's, God. you should watch it. It's pretty incredible, but it's actually really good. But the only reason I bring that up is because I think this all kind of is in the same mix here because it's all from the same generation. And that's what people don't realize is, you know, it's not like we were living in this other alternate universe where nothing was ever banned, nothing was ever taken away from us, nothing was ever questioned, nothing was ever, you know, hard or bad or weird or anything like that. Um, you know, and we were the latchkey generation and we raised ourselves sometimes and, you know, we learned to cook at a, I mean, I still can't cook, but we learned to try and cook. <laughs> I'm not a good cook. We I learned to cooking. boil water for pasta. At yes. a young age. <laughs> I have like three things I can make. I can, I'm okay at scrambling an egg. I can um, make tuna fish casserole pretty well. Um, and I can make tacos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, and enchiladas. I'm actually kids? pretty good at enchiladas. Well, they are kind of for my kid. But <laughs> I won't hold it against you. I'll just bring it up every now and then, probably in every episode from here going forward. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I should have said no. <laughs> I spent yeah, hours. <laughs> I love hearing about people and their taco stories and for me to just be like, oh, tacos, you say. I, don't know, I, I won't. I mean, I do make pretty good enchiladas, but I'm not going to because I put <laughs> you're probably going to scream at me for this one then, too, because I actually am really known for my tofu enchiladas. <laughs> <laughs> I made people laugh at that, but it's true. You know what? I believe you. I just think it's hilarious, but I do believe you. I choose to believe you. OK, so let's get into the sequel. So I want to know, Carla, what are your overall thoughts on the sequel? Did you like it? Not like it? I hated it. I hated it so much. It just, it took everything that was beautiful and special about the original and made it feel cheap. And uh, it, it's kind of like you build this beautiful glass house and then you throw a bowling ball at it for funsies. And then you're like, oh, let's take these shards and remake the house. Isn't it pretty when we're done? It's not. It's not pretty anymore. And it's, you know, you start at the, at the very beginning and, you know, like, I, I, I have all kinds of hope for this movie because they, uh, Akeem and Lisa wake up and they're together still and they're still clearly in love. And then in come their beautiful daughters and each one is even more spectacular than the last. And then you get to Mika, the oldest daughter, who is so accomplished and so uh, she's so cool and she can really wield those, you know, sticky sticks and, you know, and she just seems like it, it just seems like such progress. Like, wow, he has three daughters. At no at no point does he look at them with disappointment and he's you know, everything's great. And then suddenly it is disappointment because none of them have penises and therefore there ends the kingdom. Oh well, I guess we're just gonna have to, you know, move on or whatever. And I'm like, why? And also, did nobody think of this before? Like, these girls are clearly not, mm -hmm. you know, babies. 
obviously you know that there are no boys. Why didn't you bring this up before your father sent his death deathbed? And I also absolutely, absolutely detested the non-consensual aspect of the um, conception yeah. of Lavelle. That was just, I was completely aghast at the idea that the only reason that um, that Akeem couldn't remember that he had slept with somebody before Lisa was that he was um, drugged and therefore could not fully consent to the sex that happened to him. Mm -hmm. I was like, what the hell is that? And that is where, you know, my whole point from before comes in where it's like, okay, now it's 2020, 2021. There is no excuse for this. None whatsoever. You can't tell me that non-consensual sex is just a hilarious side plot. I don't care that that um, Leslie Jones is in it and I adore her and I think she's mm -hmm. hilarious and fantastic. You cannot convince me that that is an okay way to bring about a um, an heir. I, I was just disgusted and I, I, I don't know why they needed the insistence of making it about a guy. You have three perfectly good princesses, but you have to have a king, which was not at all brought up in the story at all in the first coming to America. There was nothing saying that it had to be a boy. So why does it suddenly factor? Like there's so much sexism and um and anti womanness in there that just oh it turned me off from the rest of the movie and you know i i wanted to to like it um but no matter what they do in the end to bring the movie back to its roots about you know a boy who wants to fall in love and and falls for the person who isn't a royal whatever it does not I, I just I, I can't unsee that. I, I can't stop being focused on the fact that everybody's just brushing this off as like no big deal. Like at no point do we deal with this. And um the only problem is that in their minds is that well you didn't sire any boys. Like that's your your big issue. And yes, I in the end they do make it so that Mika can become the king eventually. But why didn't, you know, like, why was that not fine from the beginning? Or why not make it the movie about Mika and her story and her journey? You know, like, why did it have to be about a guy? Why were you so hell-bent on making it about a guy when you have what I think would have been a fantastic character to watch um go through something similar to what her father went went through or even different, but just about her. And it's not okay because not only in the movie, in the plot, a woman is not enough, but also in the story that you wrote, it's not enough to make, to make a story about a woman. So yeah. Um, suffice it to say, I was not a fan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I liked it a little bit more than you did, but I totally agree. I think I think the biggest problem with this movie 
is the fact that it, they waited for so long to make this movie. I think that's a big problem, yeah. <laughs> honestly, because it's like they're trying too hard and they're trying too hard to replicate the first one and they're not being original enough and they're doing a lot of wink wink like there's even like a whole line about unnecessary sequels or whatever that is and sometimes it's okay when people can laugh at themselves and or laugh at what's happening or get a little wink to the audience but I think sometimes there's an over-reliance on that Mm -hmm. and I and I feel like this whole movie is a wink wink nudge nudge at the audience and um I honestly thought when I saw the trailer that it was going to be more focused on his daughters and his oldest daughter. That's what I thought. And I thought it was just going to be, you know, yeah, there was going to be a son in there that he didn't know about, but it wasn't going to be so focused on him because it really is that son's, this really is the son's story. It's not about the the other people are just side characters, really, honestly, Mm -hmm. it's all about him. And while I think, the actor and I can't remember his name right now. I should have the thing in front of me. I think he's good. I just, I just really wanted to know more, more about Mika. I wanted to know more about her because she was so fascinating and you could tell there was so much um, that she had been dealing with her whole life of what she really wanted was to be, you know, she wanted to be queen, but she also, but not just in the sense of, being a beautiful queen, she wanted to have her own agency and she wanted to have her own power. And she went beyond, you know, uh, gender stereotypes. And that's what she was trying to do. And especially because this movie is supposed to be calling that out so much, like it's trying so hard to call out the fact that women aren't allowed to get jobs in their country and women aren't, you know, this, and, and you have the whole side story with the um, hairdresser and how, She's, you know, talking about how things need to change in that that country a lot to Lavelle and Jermaine Fowler is the actor. Um, And so you have that whole side plot. So it's like they're trying really hard to be like, um, we are trying to be a woke movie for lack of a better word. But we're still relying on harmful tropes. We're still relying on, um, you know, we're still relying on being... um, Fat shaming as well. There's a lot of fat shaming in this movie. Yeah. Uh, we're still relying on the bathers. We're still relying on that kind of stuff. We're still relying on a lot of harmful stereotypes. And with that whole um, thing with the with sexual with sexual assault, because that was a sexual assault. The whole thing with that is there's a whole harmful trope about that with men where. Um, it's used in comedies a lot where it's like just a funny thing that a man's agency is taken, that a man is sexually assaulted. It's a funny thing. It's a comedic right. thing. There's a whole YouTube video by pop culture detective who does some great, wonderful, amazing, he does amazing videos. And there's a whole video that he does about that. And it's still a thing. And so, yeah, that was like, okay, so this is supposed to be funny, but it's not because she, she he's literally drugged, literally drugged. He doesn't remember anything until they're talking about it again. His friend helped with this too. So it's not yeah. just her, you know, his his lifelong friend, his brother, his everything helped with the, helped to instigate this sexual assault that resulted in this son. Also that he could also that the story could have a son. I mean, why couldn't you just have it where he you know, you, you didn't show it in the first one or something or he if you are going to have a son and 
he didn't want to tell Lisa about it, but yeah, he had a night and he kind of hooked up with another person, totally sober. They hooked up and he's always kind of, you know, tried to brush it off like it didn't happen, you know. I mean, that's all you had to do if you were going to have a man in here. You didn't have to add that in there. And it's, again, it goes back to when you were talking about, you know, Eddie Murphy doing cheap laughs. And this is like the cheapest of cheap. And the whole joke about a rhino, he thought a rhino was attacking him or something because there's a whole fat joke there. And so it's, so, yeah, so it's like, I enjoyed parts of this, I think, more than you did and more than most people did because most people I know hate this movie. (laughs) I remember, because we already had this on the schedule and then I was seeing everybody not liking it. And I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Tiffany, when you... When you listen to this, I'm sad you can't be on. I'm still sad about that. But I believe Tiffany didn't like it either. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I would love to have a conversation with her about it because I feel like mm-hmm. she and I would be on the same page about like so much of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, um, when it comes in particular, and I'm bringing up the the assault again, because it, it, it is part of a rape culture where... Um, where we tell men that they can't be raped. It's like, mm-hmm. well, if you manage to get it up, then you obviously you enjoyed it. And that's not how the body works. You know, it, it's, that's not how it works at all. And it, it's also why, you know, there are just constant plot lines about boys hooking up with older women, like mm-hmm. babysitters, teachers, etc. And we're supposed to clap at that because, oh, he got some and he's so young. So he must have... Like all of this, you know, sexual prowess. And he's a child and an adult took advantage of him. No, it's not sexy and cute. It's assault. Mm-hmm. And if the, the more that we keep brushing it off as something to be lauded, the more we stigmatize these boys who come, who want to come forward and say, hey, listen, I wasn't comfortable with that. Or, you know... I guess I have to be okay with it, even if they're actually not, because we don't give them the opportunity to not be okay with it. And this is, you know, it feeds into that too. It doesn't matter that the guy was 27 years old um, when this happened in the first movie, supposedly. It was still never okay. But um, going back to one of the other things about the movie itself is that like a solid third of it was just flashbacks to the first movie. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, if you have to lean so hard on footage from the first movie, maybe wait until you have better writing for the second one. Because clearly, you know, you're over-relying on our nostalgia. And I, I think that's one of the mistakes that a lot of of uh, of movie and TV makers make when they try to tap into the, particularly the 80s nostalgia, is that they just lean too hard and they want to bring back exactly the same thing that we fell in love with. And it ends up biting them in the butt because yeah, we, we enjoyed it, but we want you to fully update it and really make it its own thing for this time. We don't want you to just regurgitate what we've already seen. Cause if I, if I wanted to do that, I can just rewatch it. You know, I'm like, I have access to the original. I'm good. Show me something different, but that's not what they did. Yeah, or if you are, you know, or or what you could have done is also shown any growth in the characters. To me, it seemed like a lot of the characters um, regressed. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. like, especially Akeem. 
especially a game i was yes. like who is it was so shocking and horrible <laughs> like you know here's this guy who is looking for a woman who has her own mind and isn't uh bred to be um a queen who hops around in one foot and barks like mm-hmm. a dog and meanwhile you know he he's treating his daughters like like disposable because oh now i have a boy i'm gonna devote all of my time and attention to him and i'm gonna give him the entire kingdom even though i met him five minutes ago yeah yeah and even though i think the movie is what the movie's trying to say is that's wrong and bad and eventually in the end you know it's like oh we've learned our lesson and you know my son's gonna be in charge of was it like diplomacy between the u.s and us and and then my daughter will be in charge of changing the rules but it still wasn't really a a woman that helped that come about it wasn't really listening to his daughter it was his son so the whole time even though he's trying to do that it's he's learning it from his son he's not learning it from watching how amazing and strong and incredible his daughter is he's learning it from his son who is who's learning from his daughter i mean the reason his son is good is because his daughter was like okay i'm going to put aside the fact that i'm angry about this and i'm going to help you and she did and that's the whole reason his son was able to number one get the whiskers from the lion was because of the daughter everything that the son learned was because of the daughter and it still came down to applauding the son because the sun yeah. made Akeem learn and wake up or whatever. Yeah. Because he has a penis. Really, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what we really care about here. We don't care about the daughter being fantastic and awesome. We care that this that this person has a penis. Mm-hmm. And that he identifies as male. We're good now. Okay, now we have a proper heir. Oh, the one who I've known for three seconds of my life and who has a penis and identifies as male told me that my daughter is awesome. Well... How to, how was I supposed to know about that? Exactly. That was so frustrating because I was like, come on, just, it would take you literally, it took me two seconds to realize how amazing your daughter was and you've been living with her your whole life. You don't see this? Who are you? Did you just, right. in this but, time, but did you just go back in time? Where or? was that, with that energy from 1988? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> in your life now you know like you're telling me that it's totally you know did it just get smothered in, in rose petals like I don't understand but you know since you said that, that they're thinking of making a third movie I'm hoping that this is the Empire Strikes Back of this trilogy and that their own Return of the Jedi maybe the return of um, of Akeem's moral compass will be the title of Coming Through America Coming through America. <laughs> Which, by the way, my son was very annoyed because he he was looking at at the um, at the screen when I was selecting the movies, and he's like, "Well, which one is coming to America too?" And I was, and I told him the one that has the two in the middle. He's like, "But that's still you still say coming to America, so that doesn't make any sense." And I'm like, "It's coming to the number America," <laughs> and he's like, "That is still ridiculous." And I'm like, you know what, son? I agree. That's hilarious. <laughs> he has very son. strong ideas. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So, well, actually, I do think, I do want to say, I think kids sometimes pick up on these things that we just kind of brush off. 
And yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they do because, you know, they might not have that, that filter or might not have been told yet, you know, certain things are, you know, that you should just not be silent on it's certain marketing. things. It's just marketing. Okay. <laughs> this is what some genius came up with in marketing and was like, we're going to name it coming to America. But that's the title of the first one. But this one has the number. When I did it, I did it in, you know, every, all the outline, everything. I put the two in there. <laughs> so I was like, ooh, clever. <laughs> it's really not, but. <laughs> but can, I, can we just, like, take one second to talk about Kiki Lane, who plays Mika, mm-hmm. and how amazing she is? Because here she is, you know, sharing the screen with Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall and all of these greats. And, you know, Leslie Jones is in it, whom I've already said how much I love her, even though I hate her role in this movie. And you just want to watch Mika. You want to know more about her because she can just be standing there and you want the camera to be back on her. And it, it's not even because she, she is absolutely beautiful, but it's not just that. Like, there's so, oh, my gosh, there's something so compelling about her. You just want to just, you know, stare into her eyes and be like, just tell me about yourself. Like that, that can be the movie. Just two hours of you talking about yourself, please. I beg. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I think it goes back to, you know, the theme of the year for it's a fandom thing, the eyes, the eye acting, because mm-hmm. she's, she's so good. And the scenes where she's helping the, the son learn about the, the, you know, what to do and how to become um, worthy are, are so good because, you know it's hard for her. You can see in her eyes that this is hurting her, that she just wishes her dad would just see her as a fully fleshed out human being. And she and you can see that pain and that um, you know, that hurt and that wanting uh not approval, but wanting acceptance. Mm-hmm. But she puts that aside and she still helps him and she's still is kind and, and it could have been such a caricature and I still think there are parts that are a caricature, but I think the actress kind of makes it go beyond that because she is so good. She's really, really good. And that's why it's so, so irksome that this movie was not about her. If you're going to make this movie about one of the kids, it should have been about her. I mean, kids, she's not a kid, but you know, one of, one of um you know the daughter of the, the son offspring. yes one of the offspring yes you should have made it about the daughter i mean just Absolutely. plain and simple because more I interesting mean, how do you cast character. yeah how do you cast somebody like her and not automatically just change your entire script and be like no we're good we have mika we're we're good to go and that's not a um anything against jermaine fowler he was really good mm-hmm. lavelle was was very likable he was um very engaging in his own way but, and I, I think a lot of the reason that I'm not as interested in him is simply because Mika exists. And you can't make me interested in, in Lavelle when you have Mika and the story should, by all rights, have been about her. Yeah, and absolutely, like, you know, I, I think we, we, should, we should change the title of the podcast to It's an Eyeball Thing. <laughs> it's an eye acting thing. <laughs> <laughs> because you know thing. but i think we come we keep coming back to it for a reason and it's that mm-hmm. that really is how how um the mark of a great actor is that they don't need to do much if the character is coming through 
and just looking at their eyes. Yeah, and that's why, like you said, any scene she's in, even if the scene is not about her, you go back to her. Because Mm -hmm. she's reacting to everything, you know, acting is reacting. And she's doing that with everything without even saying a word. And, you know, the thing that's frustrating is we've seen 100 Lavelles in our lifetime, thousands of We have not seen enough Mikas. That's the problem, is we've seen thousands and thousands of Lavelle's storyline. We've seen that storyline time and time and time again. We don't need to see it again. We need Mm -hmm. to see Mika's story. That's the story we need to see, is that story. That would have been 10,000 times more interesting. You wouldn't have, you know, it's lazy, frankly. A lot of this movie is lazy. It is, yeah. With doing so, relying so much on the flashbacks and relying so much on the wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the camera. And, you know, my favorite part are the musical numbers, but that's because I'm a musical person and I just thought those were amazing. Like, I loved the get off number. Yes, (laughs) that was so good. I was was singing along during the whole thing. (laughs) Because there were so many amazing, um, so many amazing artists. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I mean, when when you have you already have Salt and Pepper, you have and Vogue, yeah, like the <laughs> girls group of the eighties. You have Gladys Knight. Gladys Knight. I know. I mean, come on. I was my jaw like dropped. I was like, what? I know. Because <laughs> you know, it's easy for for me to forget sometimes. I'm just enjoying the music, but I forget, and then I see I'm like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I know. I was so surprised. But Get Off is um, one of my all-time favorite Prince songs. So I was just like, oh. <laughs> and I thought the way they did it, I thought all the choreography was really incredible. I think the costumes, of course, are incredible. Yeah. But that's the problem is when that sticks out more and that's the stuff that seems so amazing to watch. And then all the other stuff that we're supposed to be interested in isn't like the main heart of the story. That's where the issue comes in because, you know, those musical numbers were so great, but those were bits. Those were bits. Those weren't the real story. Yeah. And the costumes, I mean, really, the costuming is pretty outstanding in this movie. I mean, really, that was just, oh, that stuff blew me away. That was the stuff I I loved. And, you know, like one thing that I thought was interesting was that in the first movie, the, um, the, rose petal throwers and bathers yeah they were scantily clad but in the sequel they have they managed to somehow be even more scantily clad and like how did you manage that you know like how did you manage not only to clothe somebody in so little clothing but also to regress so hard Mm -hmm. yeah and and i think they were trying to also you know play it like well women we do this for women too with the whole bath scene where the guy's going down on her in the bath. And so I think they were trying to be like, okay, we're going to be fair here. And we also have a man who, you know, isn't clothed going down on a woman. So we do, we do the same thing for women too, but it was more just came off as kind of gross. There was something about yeah. it that was kind of gross. And again, played, even though um, he was, as far as we could tell, doing it willingly, I think it still played into that consent thing too. It was just kind of yeah. icky. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it's just more of the same um, male gazy kind of thing that it's like, well, you know, uh, we're, we're super feminist and therefore we're going to male gaze our feminism. It's like, hmm, I don't think you know what feminist means. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. So it's it's one of those where I was so excited for it and it was just such a letdown. And I really think it's because they waited too long too. And it was like they waited 30 years and then they're rushed. So it was like Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very it was very weird that way. Um, you know, but Well, I also wonder who who was in the writing and production team because th- that's one thing that I didn't think to look up. But yeah, I I was because if it's the same writers and you're just bringing the same people back because you had a hit back then, but you don't bother to update your team considering how much has changed in the last 30 years, then that's just, um, then that is an, an ego matter where you think, you know, you're just so good that you can, you can do it. And it's like, Oh, well, I've also grown or, you know, these things don't really matter to me. So I, they're not going to matter to the movie. They're not going to matter to the audience. And just underestimating the audience's growth as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the writers is a writer that I know um, is Kenya Barris, which I know oh. he is criticized a lot for a lot of. So it's just problematic as hell. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's one of the writers. And they don't have Eddie Murphy listed as like the um, one of the main screen screenwriters. They just say based on characters. So it looks like. Yeah, there were three people who came up with the story um, and then the screenplay. It looks like it was Barry Blaustein, David Sheffield, and Justin Canoe came up with the story. And then Kenya Barris kind of took the place of Justin, it looks like, and the other two stayed on and they wrote the screenplay. So this was written by a lot of – there were a lot yeah. of chefs in the kitchen for this mm-hmm. one. Um, and yeah, Kenya Barris, I mean, maybe we'll have to do an episode on on him at some point because he is very problematic um yeah and then it was directed by craig brewer who i don't know if that um oh yeah that's right he directed hustle and flow that's right and a lot of empire episodes sorry i should have looked this stuff up before I started. <laughs> <That was stupid. laughs> no but you know because it, it's i think there's a bit of complacency on our parts because we love the first one so much. Mm-hmm. And I think when you love something a lot and you kind of hope that the second one will match it, even though history has proven otherwise, we just kind of like, you know, go with the flow and it's like, Oh, I'll, I'll watch it. How bad can it be? Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know that there were any women consulted even because, you know, how do you write something like this and not have somebody be like, um, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Can we discuss how problematic all of this is and how many elements here just do not work in the 21st century? Yeah, once again, having women in the writer's room is very important. And I'm saying that a little slow stressing each word because it's true. Because yeah, it is true, yeah. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorely disappointed. I am so disappointed in, in this movie. Um so I'm just going to pretend it never happened <laughs> so that it doesn't taint. This is just like me in the, the Mindy Project one. where I pretend that everything after season two just never happened. It's like, oh, what second movie? Coming to America? Yes, thank you. The 1988 brilliant movie. Oh, no, I'm talking about coming to America. Haha, ha, with a two. I'm going to be like, does not ring a bell. Thank you. Never heard of it. <laughs> never heard of it. Please go about your day. 
Although, you know, with the Mindy project, you have to say, you have to include Diamond Dan. I mean, we. Well, yeah. It's <laughs> two, two seasons in one episode. <laughs> and, then it, and then it ended. That's when the meteorite hit New York. <laughs> and unfortunately, all of our characters perished. Had a dark, dark ending. <laughs> That's kind of sad when you'd rather see all the characters perish. Than... I mean, I know. Yeah. I mean, I do remember when I started not liking the Mindy Project anymore. And I was like, it would have been better if they just killed killed Danny. It would have been just better if they just killed him and she was dealing with that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, oh, and Craig Brewer, I do want to say, who directed this, also directed Dolomite is my name. So I think oh. he just kind of ended up being in a collaboration there with Eddie Murphy, which I think Dolomite is my name is a really, really good movie. Actually, I think that yeah, one's I really good. That it's really good. So I'll mm-hmm. have to check it out and pretend that this never happened to my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was, this was a short conversation. <laughs> I know. Right. Like, and I'm holding so much back. I'm like, mm, no, Carla, shut up, shut up. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, I'll, I'll, it's, it's all redundant. It's all just me saying the same thing, but in different words. You know how I do. <laughs> different words. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if we want to just, you want to just close out we. Yes. Me and all of my, my giant spirit ego things here would like to close out. Um, yes. So I can be found at... Uh, well, on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Carlatemis, C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S. My website is also Carlatemis.com. And along with Meg, another frequent panelist, we have a podcast called Bedwetter Behead. It's a classy time with slightly inebriated people discussing character analysis while we play FMK with them. And uh, you can find our podcasts anywhere that fine podcasts can be found and on twitter at bed wet behead pod awesome you could do an episode about coming to america to to t-o not to but, you know. <laughs> not the number yes thank you yeah, not the number yes <laughs> you could do an episode that. that would be awesome. I'm gonna have to like <laughs> rope Megan to Meg. <laughs> She's like, I'm I'm already doing Freddie, Jason, and Michael. <laughs> what more do you want from me? <laughs> hey, I did just add Superstore to I know. And, and 91. We're so grateful. Yes. <laughs> we are grateful and please do not let us steamroll you any further because <laughs> Well, this schedule this year is very full, everybody. Yes. I mean, it's very, it's like popping at the seams. <laughs> uh, which reminds us of, of the movie Slacks. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Full circle. So, and this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest, feel free to reach out to us at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. And on our next episode, it's just going to be Carla and I. So we're going to be talking about girlfriends. So we're going to talk about that show. So that should be a lot of fun too. So until next time, remember 
it's a, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Timmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos. And our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe. And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.